If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Did you know the top 10 mobile games in the U.S. grossed more than $340 million in June? Do you want your game to earn more? App Figures is all about giving game makers the tools they need to get more downloads and revenue. You may already know them for analytics and app store optimization. Now, App Figures can help you keep track of competitors and the game market. From how many downloads they're getting and how much money they're making to their audience demographics and even which tools they use to power their games. Their competitor intelligence gives you great context. Got a great idea for an app or a game? With app figures, you can figure out how big the market is and how much money you could be making with it. Say a competitor adds a new feature or was mentioned in the news. With app figures, you can see if that brought in more downloads. And that's just scratching the surface. Whether you're growing your game or building a new one, app figures has what you need to reduce risk and get more downloads. Best of all, you don't need a large budget or data science degree to do this kind of thing anymore. App figures has made it affordable and simple. On top of tools, app figures also provides a lot of guides and tutorials to take you step-by-step through gaining more visibility with ASO and increasing your revenue by learning from your competitors. They just released a free guide on that, actually. Head to appfigures.com forward slash on forward slash game dev unchained to try app figures for free. Again, that's appfigures, A-P-P-F-I-G-U-R-E-S dot com forward slash O-N forward slash Game Dev Unchained to try it for free. If you like it, use our special code GDU3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one game development podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham, and with me, not just one, not just two, but three special guests. Welcome to the show. I'm going to do my... It's going to be hard if I list them off, but I'm going to do it a little differently. I'm going to have you guys introduce yourself individually, uh, and then we'll just get it going. So, Leanne, why don't we start with you since you're kind of on camera right now? Sure. Hi, I'm Leanne Taylor-Giles. I'm the narrative director at Drop Air Bites, working on Broken Roots. I guess I'll, uh, I'll go next then. Uh, I'm Colin McComb. I am the creative lead for Broken Roads and uh, also co-owner of my own company called Three Pound Games. And I'm Craig Ritchie, the co-founder of Drop Air Bites and the game director on Broken Roads. Perfect. All right. So I kind of did like a pre pre interview, but I'm going to have you guys uh, reiterate again. Where is everybody at right now? Uh, <laughs> so let, let's start with you. Uh, all over the place. So I'm in Torquay uh, in Victoria, Australia. So maybe an hour and a bit south of Melbourne. Uh, and the team is very, very spread around the world. I think there's only two people right now that work in the same office. That's uh, Leanne and James, I'll let them uh, talk about where they're at. We have an office. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back in Brisbane. Uh, we just moved back from 10 years overseas in Montreal, Canada, which is absolutely oh, beautiful, cool. but we're happy to be back home with family. And as Craig mentioned, my husband is the animator on the project, so he sits behind me. Cool. And uh, Colin? 
Uh, I am just outside of Detroit. If I had a better throwing arm, I could huck a rock into Detroit. But I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So uh, let's talk about like the, the beginnings of the studio. All right. Was this uh, you were kind of mentioning uh, the beginning of 2020, the pandemic before that. When did you guys start to kind of get together and uh, decided to kind of let's make a game together? Cool. So it started in kind of late 2018. I've been doing some um, freelance marketing and helping indies with Kickstarter and uh, just ended up a gig and I was speaking to an old um, friend and a manager of mine from well, previously CCP Games who said, well, why don't you try and you know do your own thing this year? This is right at the end of 2018, uh, start of 2019. I thought, you know, why not? I spoke to a friend of mine who has since you know become the co-founder of Dropbird Bytes, Jethro Nordia, and uh, we said, "Look, we've got this potential like good timing now. Let's see if we can create a demo. Let's see if we can get a small team together, start pitching to investors and publishers." And uh, that that was January 2019. Founded the company, first team members on at the end of that month, and. Uh, things kind of ramped up. We live in, we're very fortunate enough to live in a state that has really good government funding for games. And we managed to get some uh, support from then Film Victoria, now Vic Screen, and put together a, a trailer and had a hands-on demo at PAX Australia 2019. And once that started getting us attention, uh, neither Colin nor Leanne were on the team at the time. But after we kind of came out with the, the announcement and so on and got the attention, uh, attracted a bit more funding, and then I was able to uh, build the team with the, the talent we have today. It's fantastic. Um, one of the biggest questions that kind of been like a recurring question for the last two years is the pandy, uh, <laughs> the pandemic being such a huge uh, thing for any type of development. Um, how has that affected you guys? How has it affected your team? The remote thing sounded like from the beginning, the plan going forward. Did that change anything um, for you guys? Uh, I mean, I can answer this one unless Leanne or Colin want to jump in. You've probably got the best perspective on it. Okay. Well, we were all remote before um, the pandemic anyway. We, there were a few of us in Victoria so we would go to a shared workspace in um, the city of Melbourne, you know, sometimes once a week, sometimes every couple of weeks, but most of the people just working from home. And as we expanded the team, we, we got people in Canada, South Africa, the UK, we were working with some artists in China for a while, um, North America in the case of Colin and Leanne, and, and uh, more recently, um, our other narrative designer, Jesse. Um, so we were all set up to go and, you know, remain remote. We were looking into what would it, you know, what would it take to get a shared space or a more permanent studio here in, in Victoria. Um, and then the pandemic changed all of those plans. And we were just like, well, we, we've been doing it remote for a little over a year anyway. Um, let's just get a little bit more discipline when it comes to our, um, regular Google meets or Slack calls. Uh, let's, Know, really get the the uh, company culture embedded into into our online comms. You know, Colin mentioned the the rule zero. You know, always assume good intentions in um, like written communications. That's so essential when working online anyway, and even more so when you you never see the people in uh, in person who you're working with. I mean, we we're going on three and a half years, and I think there's only a handful of people on the team who've actually ever met in person. Mm -hmm. It would, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess you're muted. It, <laughs> why? Um, I was going to say it's been such a boon for me and James as well, because when we were looking at moving back to Australia with our two small children, we weren't sure if we would have to live in Melbourne, which is where half of James's family is, but absolutely none of my family is. And so being able to be remote with Drop Bear Bites means you can have our family life and our work life very close together. And it's amazing for us. We absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, like one of the biggest benefits that we're seeing and everyone's been echoing is like the ability to kind of have our, our lives back. Uh, for a lot of people, I think the industry in particular is kind of notorious for 
crunch hours, being away from home, creatively being me more in the office uh, than doing anything else. And so it was a welcome change, uh, kind of like a forced change, uh, not just our industry, but all industries worldwide. <laughs> um, I think with smaller teams too, with especially indie teams, they are prospering much more. Uh, obviously it should benefit all, but I do see the bigger studios in general have been struggling a lot more. Um, and I would love to kind of hear you guys thoughts because it sounds like at the very beginning, you know, you see all these tech companies, they've been, um, you know, champing remote working and slowly Google kind of backtracked and then Facebook kind of starting to backtrack and you can start to hear like, Oh, you know, I'm, I read a story about someone applying for a job and then uh, only through the second interview in, they found out like, Oh, they have to be within 10 mile radius remote working. <laughs> like they're starting, like these little discoveries are starting to happen. Uh, kind of in a way like have you guys been kind of hearing the same thing on that side where you guys are at with friends and family and whatever i'll jump in again uh both james and i were working at ubisoft montreal when the pandemic happened and so we went to remote work i had well i had another child so then we had a toddler and a baby at home and we were both meant to be working full-time once the maternity leave ended we made that work um but being remote is really, like I said, such a blessing for us with two small children. It's a lot easier to manage our lives and see the people that we love being remote. Yeah. And I, I have heard more about uh, about people being forced back into the office as well. Um, just because, you know, these these larger companies, they've got you know the overhead of warehousing their their employees. They've got to pay rent. They've got to pay for the parking. They've got to pay for all of these benefits that they're not actually using. And it's just a massive financial drain for them. Whereas and with the, a yeah, with a with a smaller studio. Yeah, sorry. Uh, with a with a smaller studio, it's you know, we're already remote. So we don't have to worry about reintegrating any of that. And it's just, you know, making sure the company culture stays, uh, you know, stays solid. One thing that is a little sad is that uh, there's a very vibrant community in Myland, which is where Ubisoft is, and lots of small businesses that relied on having X number of employees coming to work every day. So we spent a lot of time because we lived nearby patronizing all of those places and trying to spend as much money as we would have spent if we'd been working to try to help keep them afloat. So there is that aspect to it as well. The community suffers a little bit when people don't go back, but I do think distributed living in villages is more sustainable and healthy than everybody flocking to one place. Yeah. And with uh, with widely available broadband as well, it's going to make a huge difference. Um, you know, and I, I think a, the problem is going to be coming up when a lot of the commercial re, uh, leases start to come up uh, or the mortgages or whatever that people uh, have been buying up. You know, I understand that's going to be happening fairly soon as well. So we're going to be seeing a lot of empty real estate pretty soon. So do you guys feel like just in a general trend that it's kind of returning back to where it was before or most likely 10 to 20 percent? would adopt this kind of remote thing and the rest will go back. Like what's the percentage here that you guys feel? Um, you know, I guess I can jump in on this cause I've seen some discussion on, uh, in industry channels about it. You know, some people are talking like, you know, go into an office one to two days a week. Um, you know, just sort of keep some of that and have people come in, just sort of touch base and make sure that they still have that human connection. Uh, but mostly the people I've been talking to are really excited to not be in an office and have to be on all the time because it's like that bit in office space where the guy's like, yeah, you know, I come in and then I look at my email for an hour and I would say I do maybe 15 minutes of work a day. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's definitely, yeah, I definitely want to hear more of you guys is, uh, um, why remote work does work. Uh, and why, for whatever reason, expanding that to a larger team hasn't been as successful. Um, and I just want to highlight, I think there's with, without like the overhead of offices and it's not like they can just go ahead and get rid of the lease. You know, there's a lot of dependencies that they've signed on and. I think if anything, a lot of middle managers don't want to let that go. <laughs> to be honest, like they love. The yeah, office. for sure. 
there's a yeah. there's a lot that goes into maintaining a work culture and it i think it's easier if you start off remote like drop their bites did because then there's no expectation that you're going to see each other you know i did really miss my colleagues from rainbow six and in fact i never met a bunch of my colleagues on discovery tour viking age because it was the pandemic so i set up a coffee with the other writers and we would do that once every three weeks or something like that but i haven't met the people i'm working with and i think that's okay we have a lot of calls i know that everybody's going to go and see each other in Germany and I'm hoping some people will come to PAX. So that will be exciting. But if you start off as a large team, so some of my meetings on Rainbow Six would be 40 people. That's really hard to manage in a call like this. You have 40 people on screen. Who are you looking at? Where do you look? You can't do those side glances to each other that you do when someone says something that you don't agree with. (laughs) And it's also really exhausting to be on camera all the time because you're constantly looking at your own body language. Like I'm gesticulating up here and in my face because that's where my face is on the screen. If I was talking normally, I would not be doing that. And so you get this real fatigue when you're on calls for eight hours a day. At the end of the day, you're just absolutely wrecked in a way that you wouldn't be if you were chatting over coffee or seeing people for lunch or getting up and taking a walk around. And I think one thing that has really suffered with remote work is that people don't leave those breaks. So you have a meeting, then you have another meeting, and then it's three hours later and you haven't had any water and you haven't even left your room because there's just meeting after meeting and people don't think. Whereas when you're going from a physical meeting room to another meeting room, it's more acceptable to be a little bit late because you went to the bathroom as opposed to mm-hmm. a call where everyone's like, okay, no, you're at your computer. You should be on time all the time. And it's really difficult to work with that kind of schedule. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely want to um, talk about more broken roads. And um, what I'm also seeing is during the, the pandemic, a lot of like, uh, uh, social um, foundational games really got big, right? A lot of people were missing the interaction. And so there's a lot of multiplayer games that, you know, Fortnite just basically ruled the world. Uh, Warzone in particular, right? Definitely kick ass. And now I'm seeing the trend kind of inverting back. Like there was that summer festival that just happened. Games like you guys is like RPG single player experience. A lot of single player experience. A lot of people just want to spend yeah. time alone now. That's have right. been trending really hard. So I don't know if you guys are are noticing that too. And I would love to know your thoughts about it. Um uh let's go with the Craig this time since you haven't talked for a while. <laughs> cool. Um yeah look we started with the single player game because that's what we you know it's what our passion is for a lot of us what's our background is um and it was about a year a little over a year before the pandemic started so we just kind of wrote it out and glad that there's that shift back to to the single player um single player experiences absolutely noticed that the people were i mean myself i played a bunch of the games you just mentioned as well because we couldn't see our friends so we would arrange like okay 6 p.m saturday four of us are going to be playing warzone or you know PUBG or deep colin and i were playing deep rock galactic you know just Uh just stuff that wouldn't necessarily be my first choice but you don't have the um hey let's go to the bar hey you guys free to go to the restaurant like that kind of stuff just just wasn't possible and as the world's slowly returning to normal, uh, you know, we're talking about people going back to offices and stuff like that. I've seen outside of the industry as well. People are, uh, a lot of companies are the the two days a week in the office, three days from home. So they are getting that social interaction and, and maybe like we don't have to use games as much, uh, you know, Jackbox party pack and all that might see a, a drop in sales now that people can get back into uh, I don't know, um, you name it. Like you said, there's a lot of single player RPGs and those deep immersive experiences are, are coming back and, and uh, the timing, timing is good for broken roads, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And, I will say, I know, think, go ahead. Sorry, I think one thing that did suffer during the pandemic was people's ability to concentrate. And I heard from a lot of people that it was the first time that they'd really been anxious and they had difficulty dealing with the brain fog. And so I, more intellectual experiences were, to manage and so people would go into these games that were like comfort food which is great comfort food is great um and they just kind of wanted to zone out for a while and so i feel like now that people have a more holistic life because they can leave the house and they can occasionally see people they maybe have enough 
mental capacity to get back into those deep thoughts that eluded them when everything was very scary. Yeah. I, I definitely noticed another thing where um, I'm sure you guys have kids or are near kids, you know, and as game developers, we look at them as like experiments for our own self needs, right? We're like, what games are you playing? My kids and that generation 12 and under are very, it's like single player RPGs, all these games we grew up with. I played Command and Card. I played everything growing up with Final, Fan- Final Fantasy, everything. But they are very in tune with just multiplayer lately. <clears throat> and uh, and I always gripe about, I feel like they're missing, you know, the benefits of story development. You know, they obviously like movies. They obviously like, you know, going along for the ride. But for whatever reason, you know, game-wise, they're just not naturally as attracted as we used to be. So I wonder if, you know, what, what your thoughts about that are is um, when it comes to that lower, younger demographic. So I'll, uh, I'll use my kids as an example. Uh, they're, they're, they're 16 and 19 now, um, but they grew up on Minecraft um, and, you know, they still play it a lot you know, heavily modded, uh, playing with friends, you know, network servers, uh, and they've, they've picked up Roblox as well, uh, which, you know, again, super, super modded, um, playing all sorts of experiences that, you know, I'm like, hey, guys, why not check out, say, Dishonored or, you know, any of the arcane games or check out Half-Life because I'm a huge Half-Life nerd. Check this game out. I love it so much. Hey, have you guys tried a role-playing game? And they're like, yeah, we tried a game like this. It was a mod in Roblox. Yeah, and it's like, oh, come <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. (laughs) Guys. <laughs> my brother made an rpg on the graphics calculator that we used to have to use at school so i'm very mm. a fan of tools that are used for one thing being made to do another thing that's <laughs> yeah oh no yeah. i mean it's it's totally it's really cool but you know i mean at the same time they're sort of you know stuck into this walled garden idea of mm-hmm. well we've got this you know this one thing here and we're going to just modify the hell out of it mm. and you know other people you know they pull in their their I guess uh, there there are influences from like YouTube videos or streamers or whatever uh, and enjoy the enjoy the games that way without actually having to put in the work on those games. Yeah, it's um, sorry. Are you going to? No, no. I was going to say I was going to say that as as uh, as somebody with no kids, I'm definitely the right person to answer this. Um, I think that uh, (laughs) when we were playing games, say, 80s 90s on it was consoles with maybe like you know two players could play sometimes not even simultaneously like old arcade games or you know the the early mario brothers where once you die your friend has a go uh and then you know we probably had 14.4k modems and then 28k and all the way up to like the 56k days where just playing doom or quake required like you had to know how to edit autoexec.bat and config.sys and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff just to play <laughs> yeah. online. Whereas nowadays, uh, I don't know what age, but I would guess 25 or under has never known a world where they're not permanently connected. And mm-hmm. to play a sync, to, to kind of like divorce yourself from the interaction and the, the kind of connected socializing that is a part of, you know, I can assume as a part of the consciousness all the time would maybe just seem a little bit alien. It's like, when I'm going to read a book or I'm going to watch a movie, I'm going to do something that is, is completely solo experience, or I can just do the entertainment version of what I'm so used to doing with my connected devices anyway. Um, so that, that's why I think 
the major push at the moment is the multiplayer games and the absolutely massive successes, like the real huge money earners are generally free to play or, um, you know, smaller, I should say cheaper games that I think you saw among us even going to free to play recently as well, because they get those numbers and they have the, the right appeal, but it's almost like such a divergence that it's a different skill set to create and manage and run those live services games to more traditional, you know, immersive, deep single player, maybe replayable narrative driven games, different beasts to create, different beasts to manage and uh, entirely different target audiences. Yeah. You know, from the people I talk to, there's like, uh, trying to reassure me it's like oh you know the 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 taste is evolving you know i mean these are the future generations that have the ability to maybe create ready player one that we are struggling to make right like and i was like all right i'll i'll be hopeful but i don't i don't know <laughs> I, see mm-hmm. I just see there's certain you know aspects to it like i was telling my son like hey you should play Shadow of the Colossus. It's, it changed my life. It's like, cool, Dad. I'll watch you play it. But I signed it for a university group. Yeah, I signed it. Yeah. And I said, you know, because I know people can't always buy games. I said, here are four games. Some of them are free. If you yeah. can't afford to buy it, you can watch a Let's Play. And 100% of them did a Let's Play of Shadow of the Colossus. And I just sat there going, no, you have to play it's it. It's the same. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's such a different experience to play. But they're so used to, and I have friends who are, you know, 25 and under who are very used to just going on Twitch and looking up a game that they're interested in and then watching so that. And fun. they have this rapport with the person who's playing the game, who's a complete stranger. I miss yeah. land parties. My last land party yep. was uh, when wow came out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. I'm picking up your massive CRT monitor and going there and then putting yeah. it on the table, getting everything out of the car, hooking it all up, <laughs> configuring TCIP <laughs> protocols. It's yep. very different now. Yeah, but don't now. don't forget as well that well the most recent data that I saw I think from last year the year before that that median or you know game player is a thirty five or thirty six year old um, with a getting closer and closer to fifty fifty uh, male female split and mm-hmm. so while we do see what all the kids are playing and those are the massive numbers and the earners and so on there's there's a lot of of uh, people playing whether it's mobile games or picked up a switch or whatever they could get with the hardware shortages or, you know, discovering games on, on steam and that kind of thing that are in the, the mid to late thirties. I, I think that's still the largest demographic having grown up from the console days and so on until now, like mm-hmm. they're out there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely the, uh, the gamer base have grown tenfold over the pandemic. Everyone was basically a gamer, which is great for us. And uh, like anything, their taste gets uh, more and more uh, expert level and they venture out from the basic mobile games to the more hardcore PC or even console. So that's, that's exciting. That's great. There's a plethora of games that, you know, they can discover on and, and play with. Um, so Broken Roads, all right, post-apocalyptic in Australia. Another trend I saw during the pandy is a lot of people were into post-apocalyptic, you know, top 10 Netflix. They were like, <laughs> like living through a pandemic wasn't real enough. Uh, I, no. you know, that was like the biggest highlight. So uh, were you guys able to kind of see that as well? Was that part of like, let's double down on this and let's make it uh, even post more post-apocalyptic people the, are loving it. The, yeah. the biggest problem we have had is that we are looking at the news, we're looking at all of these things happening and we're like, okay, well, now we've got to change our story a bit because this is just getting too close. We're like predicting the future here. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're we're dialing it into a slightly different direction than what is actually happening <laughs> because, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to be like, we're just not, you know, we're not the game that rips off the headlines. <laughs> yeah. The headlines are ripping it- off us, I believe. Yeah. That's what's actually <laughs> happening. Yes. <laughs> So as you guys were kind of developing the story and this was happening, how many times did you guys have to shift things around as we were learning new and new information? <laughs> I think was it was just more one some of the backstory. Uh, there, yeah. there are a couple of things where we, we wrote a timeline in early 2019 of how the world got to the state that it's in at the start of Broken Roads. And then 
you know, quite literally some of the things started to happen and, um, or, or such a close parallel that we would, we'd either have to shift it that, okay, like this thing is now that we said that we wrote as a, as like some fantasy of 2035 or whatever it is. Okay. Well, it looks like, uh, China's doing that now. We <laughs> let's change either the date or change, change what's, uh, what the event was. Um, and then also as we've researched certain things in Western Australia and the towns and locations that the game is set in, we've also found things that are like, okay, we should adjust our story a little bit because um, what's really there is, is so good anyway. We don't need to, uh, we can rather expand on, on what's real um, or something is, I, I, there's something I could say, which would be too much of a spoiler. So I rather won't, but there's a date coming up in, in about 13 years time that uh, we're now going to adjust something and it's really fit into, it's, it's fit into our story really, really well. Um, so yeah, a little bit of that and just kind of a, adjusting things on the fly. We're, uh, we're kind of so late into things now that we can only really amend uh, timeline and backstory stuff. But when we find some gems, like we did on our recent trip to Western Australia, myself and Leanne and Tim, our composer and audio lead, drove through. There we go. So uh, Leanne's yeah, holding Leanne, up you gotta say something. the video. Oh, <laughs> I am holding up the ghost towns and hamlets around Southern Crest that I picked up at the Shire of Yilgarn Museum, which is a printed document that's been printed probably at home on someone's computer. And it's just full of amazing little details that we absolutely would not have known if we had not gone there and picked these up. So I really recommend go to Southern Cross. Yeah, it, it seriously is the game that writes itself. <laughs> That's well, right. yeah. apart from actually putting the words in. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, yeah. it doesn't do that for us. No. Yeah, there's also a, a really good project here to digitize um, gazettes and newspapers and um, newsletters and stuff from these towns dating back to, I think the 1800s. So you can also go online and search for, you know, let me find some news about this place. Let's just stay on Southern cross that, you know, so-and-so's donkey was stolen and, you know, in, in <laughs> 1865 and they caught the man responsible. And, you know, you find these really, really cool stories that just help you enrich um, the game. So we've been dealing with, the adjusting real world, the the discoveries about the places as we've gone to see them, and then little tidbits that we find uh, either written by residents like Leanne showed you or just things we discover from the last couple hundred years uh, from the online library archives. Yeah, and I think this is one of the things that I just want to keep stressing, like the the growing up playing these type of single-player RPG experiences as a gamer, I fell in love with them as a game developer. And maybe obviously I'm probably biased because I've worked mostly on single player experiences. They're just so much more fun to kind of tell a story, obviously. Right. I mean, multiplayer story, uh, not to kind of dog on any of them, you know, but like stories kind of, you know, secondary tertiary, it's kind of like a add on nice to have information, uh, which is great because in the end, you know, Great games play well, right? But the there's just certain stories that are better told through interactive experience, like our medium. And I feel like games like you guys is what you guys are making are are a great illustration of calling back to those times. It's like, hey, remember, you know, this is the only way we could do it. And with turn-based strategy, you know, I was a big fan of XCOM, playing through all, pretty much all of them. Um, tabletop games made the comebacks for the last 10, 20 years, picking up steam, uh, like it turn base kind of reminds me a lot of the tabletop games, uh, that I used to play. Um, these elements obviously were probably inspiration for you guys. Uh, how do you see this medium pushing forward? Right. Because, um, you know, there's a lot of things that are happening, trying to emulate RPG like experiences like the metaverse we keep hearing that the last two years another thing <laughs> that keeps everyone keeps repeating but i feel like playstation home did it better than what we're seeing now which is crazy or the to think about. Or, yeah everyone yeah. just forgot like well imvu which is be. still around very oddly if you yeah. used imvu it was a chat program where you could spend real money to buy clothes for your avatar and it was pretty impressive yeah but like what they're trying to do is the rpg game 
pretty much, right? And yeah. uh, what's the disconnect here where that those teams are not able to kind of get it going? Like what, what, what as like experienced RPG players, game developers, what are you guys seeing between, you know, your games and what they're trying to do with the metaverse that that's missing here? I'm going to defer to Colin with his many yeah. years of tabletop experience. Yeah. And, you know, the VR development as well. Um, so um, the, I mean, it's, that's a really good question. And I think part of it is, you know, uh, it's a lot of different people with a lot of different visions are trying to just sort of smash stuff together uh, or, you know, people are trying to throw up there like, okay, well, here's the, you know, here's the metaverse from, I don't know, GM auto and here's the metaverse from yeah. Ford. And <laughs> yeah. then here's a, you know, here's Meta's metaverse. And then, uh, you know, I, there's all these people trying to do their thing. Uh, and there's only the very tenuous, loosely connected strands between them. Um, and when they're, when they're trying to say, well, you know, we're just going to use NFTs to tie this together. It's like, <laughs> come yeah. on you guys you know it's it's not a magic bullet and just repeating the words blockchain at me is not going to is not going to solve the problem either um you know but i mean i i think that people are slowly getting more and more into it if people if uh if developers can recognize that what we're looking for is a hub for experiences that we can then branch out to and if you can make that seamless then you're going to have a much better chance of actually seeing your vision of the metaverse take off. Mm -hmm. They kind of did that with Oculus Home, right? You would go in and it's this beautiful palatial mansion that you can look around and then you can also access your games from there. But I think the most important thing to recognize is that 90% of storytelling and relationship making happens in the player's head but they need a rich resource to draw on to fill in the gaps. So if you have this empty stadium with a whole bunch of people in it, it's not as compelling as one or two characters that are very well detailed and don't necessarily have too much to say, but when the player interacts with them, they feel like a real human being, then they will be able to build those connections much more inside their own head rather than relying on putting a bunch of people in a place and saying, okay, now it's a party. I don't know about you. I don't go to parties with a bunch of people that I don't know, that I've never seen, that I will never see, that I don't know if they even real. Especially corporate parties. <laughs> yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to go hang out at the, the metaverse party, even if I was invited, which I wasn't. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a bit naive to think that a bunch of people who have nothing in common except the fact that they all have a VR headset are going to be any kind of monolith that's right. going to enjoy hanging out together. Right. And I, people need to self-select for these things, too. And like uh, like Altspace has some really good VR raves, for instance. Um, there's uh, Rec Room has really good stuff for generally a younger crowd. Um, although, I, you know, we tried to introduce a lawyer friend of ours to it and he got about 20 minutes in and <laughs> kids were just griefing him. So, he, <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious. But uh, he he took the headset off. He's like, yeah, this VR is not for me. Um, yeah. But I mean, you know, I, there's like Neverwinter Nights uh, started doing dungeon uh, design back in Jesus. What was it? 2000, 2001. Mm -hmm. um, so I think if we can provide building blocks for people to create their own things, and this is sort of the lesson of Roblox and Minecraft as well. If we can provide people the building blocks to create their own visions of this and then invite people to them. I think that is where you're going to really see the organic growth. Mm -hmm. The second life. Exactly. Like, life resurgence. like I'm saying, I feel like we, we, we figured all this out in 2000, <laughs> like, yeah. but everyone just yeah, but like, well, it's the penis. It. You still got the penis problem. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of those issues. Just assume sure. everything. The, the spore yeah. problem with the generated aliens. Yeah. It's going to happen. Just embrace it. Well, you were talking about like the rich history, the rich resources to pull from earlier. And that is exactly what you guys are doing with broken roads. It's you know, it's crazy that I can't really think of a post-apocalyptic game that takes takes place in Australia. I've seen New York destroyed in so many ways. Like a lot of these games are always in America and it's kind of been becoming like the same palette, the same type of story. Well, you know, apart from maybe the obvious, why Australia? Why there? Why did you guys want to make this game around that location? Mad Max. <laughs> Mad Max. Except, yeah, this game is really not Mad Max. Um, I'll let I'll let Craig speak to this though, because you know it's his vision. 
Um, yeah, look, we we were thinking it originally started off just generic post-apoc place. Um, but then within the first month or two, we were like, why don't we do this as a journey across Australia? It's so um there's so much good stuff here. There's so much range of um landscapes and uh you know biomes in the literal sense, like different you get desert and you get tropical and you get um you know thick forest and you get dry scrublands and all those as well yeah. as um beings you guys already have a lot of things that can kill you <laughs> as yeah, well, yeah, that's it's, right it's, it's, I, i've <laughs> had to train my daughters since we moved back i have to train them to like hit their shoes out if they leave their shoes out overnight i'm like okay before you put your foot in you have to pick the mm. shoe up hit it against the ground look inside make sure there's nothing yeah. and like what could be in there i'm like nothing honey it's perfectly fine <laughs> <laughs> this is pre-apocalyptic yeah, it's, just, it's like post park <laughs> out out the box exactly <laughs> yeah um and yeah so then just having a look around kind of surprised that there weren't more games set in Australia and that even some Australian teams were doing games set in um, the United States or Europe. And it was like, well, why don't we bring it back to, you know, Colin mentioned Mad Max. That's, that's, I think where everyone goes to kind of, it wasn't the first, but it really planted a flag in what set the idea of, of post-apocalyptic cinema for people. Uh, and, you know, we lean on the obvious big names like Fallout games and you know, other titles that have since done things first. Like, how do we draw on that so that we're similar enough that fans of the genre recognize what they love, but still create a, a distinct brand, distinct identity for ourselves? And that Australianness is is really central to to the game without having to lean in on ridiculous stereotypes you, you can kind of dip your toes in the stereotypes and find enough uh, genuinely interesting and different content right here. Um, such a wide range of people and different cultures. The different states are also, like, you know, people have different slang depending on where you are and that kind of thing. It's, it's one big country with a lot of difference in it, beautiful landscapes, tons of locations, and, and so much kind of history and difference that you can draw upon that we were originally going to do the whole journey across Australia for the game. And we we limited just to one state. We're like, there's there's so much in Western Australia, and even that got limited down to just one section of Western Australia. And there's already so much variety. The start of the game looks very different to where you get to the mid and the late points in the game, uh, which totally mirrors the the real world uh, Western Australia. Yeah, I don't I don't think people realize how big Australia actually is. I mean, for context, saying, yeah, we're going to go all the way across Australia. It's like, yes, we're going to have our game go from Los Angeles to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's I mean, it's yeah, it's it's, you know, essentially that far. And, you know, with the same sort of variety in scenery through there. So, yeah, it was like scope reduction. Smash this down. Mm-hmm. And I will say well, that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to work on Broken Roads because it was set in Australia because Colin was working on it and he's like, hey, these are some cool people you might want to chat to. But I think there's something about post-apocalyptic settings that's a love letter to the civilization that you live in and that by destroying what you love, you can appreciate it a lot more. And <laughs> we have so many stories of destroyed America, but I want to see my country destroyed and rebuilt so I can see what's important to me and mm-hmm. the people that I love. Water. Water, water, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just water actually <laughs> tank girl was right <laughs> well uh you know what, what i love about what you guys are doing and what i love about bringing these experiences that you know the 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 foundation of indie development has changed so much since uh, uh what's that game meat boy right <laughs> when, super, meat boy. <laughs> super meat boy right super when it's boy. like when you think indie before is like, oh, manageable, a couple of people, we can figure this out. It's doable. I mean, it's hard. It's very hard still. But it's like when you look at that type of game, it's a very good game. It's like, yeah, I can see how two people can make this. And so like when I see games like you guys is where I think 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, it's like, oh, you're talking about a team of 50 to 100. And a lot of that has been because the tools, the availability of what we can do now with a small group of people have improved so much. I would say the last five years, you know, Unreal, Unity, being free, uh, Substance, all these diff- different artistic tools, technical tools uh, that is more freely available have just made 
the possibility of making these dream projects come true with lower resources, right? Well, at least in, in terms of people. Um, were there another time where not just the chance of you guys getting together, were, were you guys were able to kind of have the same group work on this game earlier? Or was this just, this is the perfect time because everything kind of lined up in terms of the tools, the engine, the pandemic, <laughs> like, like, is there something special about this time period? Yeah. Yeah. This was absolutely a coming together of a lot of things at the right time. This was um, myself and my co-founder both having the opportunity at the right time to found a company going without um, other obligations that would have prevented, you know, cause it's game development is hard. Game development is incredibly competitive running a startup and starting one is incredibly hard. So you like combining the two and doing the worst of it all. Uh, but the timing was right for us at the start of 2019 and moving in, you know, when I started, uh, I had been in Australia for a, a few years. I didn't know that Victoria um, and the state government offer all the various funding things that they do. And that that all became clear, you know, a couple of months after starting Drop Bear Bites and then seeing what those programs are like, being fortunate enough that um, PAX Australia is, you know, less than an hour and a half from my house. So I could drive my own TV up there and the car's like full of uh, my own stuff as opposed to renting all the equipment and, and running a, um, a booth that I also have to fly everybody in for and that kind of thing. Then um, Unity and, like you said, Substance and so many tools, not only being free, but being absolutely commercial quality as well. And mm -hmm. the basic free, like full featured unity license for small teams or teams to the revenue under at the time it was a hundred thousand. It might've changed now. Uh, that has entirely made it possible. Then there, you know, there were some industry happenings in Melbourne and studio closures and that, that meant that I had suddenly, uh, look at this like talent that is, that is able to join my company, especially because they don't have to travel into a studio, um, which works for some people and doesn't work for others, but we managed to get a team together. And then I think Colin, when we spoke at the start or late 2019, start of 2020, uh, I was lucky enough that he was in a point where he could take on another writing gig and yeah, you know, pandemic time, James in the end wanting to move back to, Australia, my co-founder moved to Australia recently as well. So I do think that there was a an, very much an alignment of things. The Australian government is doing a hell of a lot to promote uh, Australian games as uh, an export product. So we've got not only the, the state initiatives like the film and screen bodies that give funding to, to games, but also tax incentives, uh, rebates on um, employee salaries. We've also got the uh, marketing expenses, like if you go to an international show, you can get uh, uh, you know, a certain number up to maybe $30,000 or something back on yeah. your, your trade shows. So there's yeah. so much happening that has just made, I, I don't think a year on either side would have worked. You know, I think mm -hmm. we, were, we, we got very, very lucky with our timing. Um, and especially with the circumstances of the individual members of the team that we've been able to, been able to bring together was, like that was just a, a pure stroke of good fortune. It's, it's a, it's a recurring theme. The more I do these interviews with international developers about how countries like game development and not the United States, there's like nothing. It's like people are still confused what, what games are over here. Uh, to the, at least in the general public knowledge is like, you know, all people actually make games. I thought my kids are just yeah. playing them. You've so, got yeah. to make that uh, tax revenue angle more known to the government because once they yeah. recognize oh wow this is like bigger than hollywood and bigger <laughs> yeah. than the recording and like music oh okay maybe there's some let, let's support yeah. this bigger than bigger than professional sports what <laughs> yeah. don't understand it no you guys are just murder simulators that's all just training <laughs> our kids yeah. to kill yep that's still the thing here um i do want to ask you guys well leanne especially um you know, one of the things that I see a lot in terms of career is that, you know, first coming in, all our hopes and dreams for a regular game developers, like, oh, I want the biggest, best studio ever. I love these games. And then 
myself included, I find myself at a certain point. It's like, I don't want to make these big games as much anymore <laughs> and want to go exactly the opposite. And the, yeah. it, it's like a second career, uh, what you call it, birth, birthing uh, of, of, of understanding what I really that want. And I kind of had like a midlife crisis. Uh, I, I don't yes. know if you had a similar experience. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I I wanted to move to America or North America so that I could work on the big games with lots of people and reach as many people as possible. I had the chance to work with Colin on Torment, which was a dream of mine. I have the uh, symbol of Torment on my wrist that I got nice. for my 29th birthday. And so I did that. And then I released a couple of big games. And then I worked on a game that had, you know, 50 million players. And then I went, uh, but I want to do something that I really care about. And that's education. And that's deep thinking and philosophy and not telling people what to think, but allowing them to be open to other ideas and introducing them to concepts they might not come across in their daily life. And so when I was thinking about that and Colin put me in touch with Craig, we had a very interesting discussion about kindness and whether you can be kind to inanimate objects or not. And that Mm -hmm. kind of sparked a, a really good discussion. And that was why I wanted to join Dropout Bites and do something that was much more in line with what I personally wanted to achieve is now I've done the big games. It was fun. I really enjoyed it. It was a great time working on all of those games with all of those so talented people. But at the end of the day, I want a couple of people that I connect with really well. And I want to make a game that I connect with really well. Yeah. It's a very weird thing because I, (laughs) same, same story. I I hear it a million times, but like um, I, I basically kind of, hark back to when I was in school doing those little projects with my friends is like, Oh, that's when I really liked game development <laughs> and would stay up all night and take as many days and months to kind of complete it. And it's, it's funny how the indie group nowadays is so much more about these veterans kind of getting together and wanting to do that for the rest of their lives. And it's just a, such an interesting thing that I've been seeing the last five, seven years um, that everybody, uh, which leads me to things like, man, these AAA games are getting harder, getting bigger. <laughs> and if all these veterans are, are leaving all the time, like, you know, great, make room for the newbies, but like, you know, are they ready for that type of stress? Uh, you know, are, are, are games going to degrade a bit because all the veterans are not around to tell them don't do that. That's going to take way longer. <laughs> you know, these type of little things I'm always kind of seeing that's happening right now. I'm sure management really will show them the question. way. <laughs> management. Yeah. You mean they don't I mean, so, fire more people? You mean throw more people yeah. at it maybe? <laughs> I'm, I'm big on process. And so one of the things that I do whenever I join a project with which both uh, Craig and Colin can attest to is I come in and I write a lot of documentation and I say how we should be doing things. So I try to leave that in place because I know that I'm not going to be there forever. Um, so hopefully people follow those processes. They can learn from my mistakes, but yeah, it is uh, talent bleed is a bit of a problem. Well, this is a question for uh, Craig and Colin, right? So, um, you know, stranger things, the reemergence of, well, I mean, that show is so popular dungeon dragons because of it is like getting reintroduced to a new generation. RPG has always been like this very distinct, corner niche market right people who are into it they love it people who haven't uh touched it you know they're like always you know squinting their eyes like what what exactly is that you pretend to be someone else right (laughs) but like what exactly about rpg that you guys think is just going to stay here forever that people are loving and and it continues trying to emulate it they don't want to call it but that's what the metaverse is they're trying to redefine it, but it's literally RPG. What is it about RPG that just makes people just want to invest thousands of hours into? It's communal storytelling. Um, you know, I mean, that's one of the fundamental features of humanity is that we're communal creatures and we love stories. You know, stories help define us. They help shape our lives. They help shape how we think and how we approach the world. And RPGs allow us to do that in both a safe space and with a group of friends. And it forges bonds between people that, you know, even if your group breaks up, there's still, you know, always going to be that bond with you where you shared this imaginary formative experience, essentially. Uh, And I don't think that anybody who has actually gotten into role-playing games is 
ever going to forget, you know, how that made them feel. And if they share it with other people, then it's going to continue spreading out. And, you know, I that's really the dream of, say, the metaverse and for like the kind of game we're making right now is just to create an experience that people will latch on to that will help them approach their, you know, approach how they view the world and hopefully, you know, help them approach it in a sane and rational way. Yeah, look, I, I agree with all of that. I think one of the things to to bring it to computer role playing more than uh, tabletop, because I've I've done some tabletop more recently, pandemic role twenty, all that's allowed us to play tabletop online as well, which has just been um, such a fantastic experience. But the big, deep, immersive single player RPG. I mean, I don't know if you can see on the shelf behind me. I've got all the uh, SSI gold box games, got the ultimate mm-hmm. games, got the Baldur's Gate games. There's, there's something to that, uh, being in that other world. I mean, old, old origin had the best slogan, you know, we create worlds. You really felt like you were somewhere else and you were able to, uh, let your childlike, um, you know, imaginative play, but happening in a in a canvas, somebody else is busy writing the story. You can mm-hmm. take from it what you want. You can kind of interact with this art. I mean, it's it's there's some games that are pure action and it's a challenge and it's about skill or it's about competitiveness. And there's other things that are more, you know, much deeper and and the um there's an emotional impact and there's a, a something that can can quite literally change you. You can take something away. I mean, for me that was Ultima six and seven, the the depth of the story writing, the um, the virtues, the you know my my real introduction to philosophy came from those games, and then I ended up you know studying philosophy about seven years at university and building a game where the the, the USP, the central mechanic to uh, our alignment system is the moral compass, is you know mm-hmm. traced back to through my history all the way through to these games where I. I, it must have been hundreds of hours because that that's another thing is a different world between the 90s and now. Uh, in the 90s, you didn't always get uh, a new game every month, let alone have mm-hmm. a thousand games in your Steam catalog and uh, Xbox Game Pass and Humble Choice and, you know, PlayStation Plus. Like we are so uh, flooded with games now that we always have a backlog and if something's losing our, our interest, like, okay, my attention goes to what's going to satisfy me more. Whereas playing the old Ultima games or the old Dungeons Dragons games, you had um, weeks and weeks and weeks to get through all of the content and chat to everybody. And you were just like, you play at your own pace. And, you know, before the internet, you couldn't get walkthroughs. You'd have to solve it mm-hmm. yourself. And I had a, a handwritten journal because there was no uh, in-game quest log or journal. And I would like draw the maps and write the notes and stuff like that. And it became this experience that you were a part of for a while. So like you had your school life and you were off playing a sport and you're doing these things. And you had this, this one thing that was like, okay, well, this is what I'm doing in my own time. And I, I have a, a relationship with these, these characters, these little avatars on the screen. And, and I put myself in that world and you, you take something away from that, that I, I think no other medium quite gets like the, the deep single player computer role playing game. Um, and to, to just like scratch that same thing that I got from the Ultima games in the nineties or Baldur's Gates and Planescape Torment and the like in the early two thousands. And if we can hit that with, with broken roads, you know, then we've, we've achieved our goal. Also, we hear a lot about, sorry, go ahead. Um, we hear a lot about meaningful choices in our industry. You know, we want the player to feel like they have agency. And we also hear a lot about power fantasies. But when you're a child, you don't have much power. And so sometimes just yeah. being able to make a choice in a game is a form of power that can be very uplifting for a child. I think now there are other platforms for that. You know, Instagram and how you want to present yourself to the world is very different to playing Baldur's Gate when you were however many years old and using that to form your identity by yourself but being able to have control over something just in the sense of the game, recognizing who you are and seeing how those consequences play out is really powerful for especially young kids. Yeah. I think you guys completely nailed why the metaverse isn't working. (laughs) It's like, because to me, a game is always about rules and boundaries and 
right now, everything else, at least socially, there aren't any of that. Um, you know, so a lot of people who get into that are kind of defining those and a lot of in bad uses or good uses, it's very hard, right? So to have those in an RPG like game like yours um, and having someone walk you through a, a, a game experience is uh, is one of the most fun things growing up. Like even uh, when you were talking about like, you can't just go online to kind of uh, once you're stuck in something to me, that, that was a story that was experience where I would either get so upset. I just turn it off and come back to it. But figuring <laughs> it out is like one of the biggest things, takeaways as a kid growing up, just figuring something out. And I feel incredibly guilty, you know, going all the Barnes and Nobles, looking through the strategy books. It's just, just <laughs> like, I can't like, but like that alone is like, such a precious type of experience that I think nowadays nobody really, you know, at least the younger generation doesn't do anymore. Um, but what, with that being said, uh, Colin, Craig, Leanne, we did hit that hour mark. I, I want to thank you guys for coming on and, and hanging out with me for an hour. It's very hard for most people, but, uh, this is the part where I kind of hand the mic over to you. I think, uh, I'll just hand it to you, Craig, uh, to kind of give a shout out, give attention to tell people out there how to find broken roads and all the information they need to kind of get connected to you guys. Cool. Well, we, you know, we've got our website, uh, brokenroadsgame.com. We're on Twitter. Uh, we've also got a YouTube channel, but I think the, the best way to interact with us is of course on uh, discord or to um, wishlist on steam and follow that community. We've actually got a, uh, a pretty decent following on steam. So we try to do quite a bit of activity there and run video AMAs and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so please join us, come along, meet the devs, chat in the discord and you know follow us on this on this journey we're uh we're getting into the tail end of development now um so really exciting reveals coming in in the next few weeks and months um so yeah thanks again brandon for inviting us it's been great of course man always fun to chat with you guys and uh that's it thank you guys for joining in i'll see you guys next week 